of Hope is dedicated to making a difference in the lives of people with cancer, diabetes, and other serious illnesses with a mission of transforming the future of healthcare by turning science into a practical benefit. Hope into reality. This is City of Hope Radio with your host, Melanie Cole. If you're coping with a stressful life event, you may not know where to turn. My guest today is Dr. Marissa Kangan. She's a clinical psychologist in the Department of Supportive Care Medicine at City of Hope. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kangan. So when people are dealing with something stressful, whether it's cancer or a loved one with cancer, what's the first thing you tell them about supportive care medicine? What is that? Thank you, Melanie. I'm happy to be here. The first thing I tell them is that they are absolutely not alone. Cancer can create a sense of isolation, being sick. And in some ways, I completely respect that, and I would never want to minimize somebody's unique experience that truly only they know at a certain level. But in many other ways, we don't want them to feel isolated or unsupported, and not only by others, but I encourage them to be their number one support. They are the only person that is with them all the time, 24-7. So who better to be their number one support? So how do they do that? Because they feel like they've got to deal with treatments and side effects, and maybe they still are working a job or have children or parents. or I mean, there's so many stressors in our lives anyway, Dr. King. And how can you give yourself that little bit of self-love and compassion to accept what's going on around you and deal with it? You're right, Melanie. Life's already so hard. Just by being a human, we struggle. We all suffer at times to varying degrees. And there are various challenges that come and go. We hopefully they go more than they come. But particularly when somebody is ill, it can be exceptionally hard to be loving toward oneself. So like you mentioned, self-love or the concept of self-compassion, it can be profoundly important, particularly when somebody is sick or going through treatment. And that's for the patient as well as those who care about the patient. But I guess for the purposes of this interview, we can talk about the person going through the treatment. So self-compassion The easiest definition is to treat yourself with the same kind of kindness and grace and care that you would treat those you care about. And so it could be your good friends, your loved ones, and that involves recognizing that we are human, we are imperfect, we do mess up at times, and that when we struggle, it comes with being human. So a lot of times when we're going through something really challenging, we conclude on some level, whether it's conscious or not, that we have somehow failed. And how we respond to that can determine whether we struggle more or whether we can actually grow during the struggle, not deny it, face it head on. So when sometimes somebody might think, well, this shouldn't have come up in my life, And on some level, that implies that everybody else is living a perfect, problem-free life. And that type of thinking can cause additional suffering because people will feel more isolated from the rest of humanity. And we know that deep, meaningful connections to others have protective factors, both emotionally and physically, So, and also healing properties. So 
when we feel connected to others, I mean, that's the stuff that makes life worth living. So we want people to feel more connected. And so if we have love toward ourselves, it gives us the courage to accept, okay, we all struggle and not kind of enter that, what we call a negative feedback loop where we feel bad about feeling bad, conclude there's something wrong with us for feeling that way, and then go down a pathway that is exhausting, especially when somebody is in treatment. They need all the energy that they can get. So when we focus on the fact that everybody struggles, and that would differ from poor me or why me, like a a place of self-pity, it significantly alters how we relate to those challenges. So the door opens to grow. And in no way is it putting on rose-colored glasses or fluffy, although it can sound kind of hokey, and I'm not above hokey or cheesy if it works. (laughs) Well, (laughs) you know, I I hear what you're saying. We negative self-talk even in the best of times, especially women. We do this to ourselves all the time. And when we're going through cancer treatment or treatment for any illness, that negative self-talk can be magnified. So how do you work with people to get them to tone down those voices and to love themselves, even if it becomes a positive image thing, a self-esteem, if they're going through breast cancer treatment? How do you work with people to get them to change that? So the first and foremost is, at least when I meet with people in therapy, the most important first step is for them to feel safe and heard. They need to feel that they are in a partnership. We're a team, and they are the leader of the team. But when we have that rapport and that safe, comfortable space, then I can challenge them in a supportive way when I identify certain patterns in how they speak about their experience. And I can challenge them to make a conscious decision to be more compassionate toward oneself. And there are specific techniques that you'll hear, cognitive behavioral therapy, meaning-finding therapy, supportive interventions, and mindfulness is a big one. There's, um, you'll hear about mindfulness, and that's really being fully present in your experience and noticing what's going on, including your emotions and your thoughts, without judging them, without being critical. And that goes against nature. We need judgment to make decisions, particularly those that might be life-threatening. But we don't need to be judgmental toward ourselves and our thoughts or how we're coping. It might not be an ideal situation, and we can't always change the factors that are part of the situation, but what we can do is focus on what we can control, and that makes the rest of it a little bit more bearable. How well-spoken you are. Tell us about the Department of Supportive Care Medicine at City of Hope, and what types of services do you offer? First of all, thank you very much for saying that. I am over the moon excited and privileged to be a member of this team. I joined City of Hope in uh, January of the current year, and the Department of Supportive Care Medicine is filled with various disciplines. It's a large department. We have divisions within the department. I'm in the Division of Psychology, and I apologize in advance since I won't be able to name them all, which is a good problem because it means there's so many of us. But we have clinical social work. We have psychiatry. We have supportive care physicians and nurse practitioners and um, 
many of them have very extensive experience in palliative care and helping people cope with pain and symptoms that crop up during treatment. And we have the Positive Image Center, the Sherry and Les Biller Center, which includes a lot of options for support groups, including yoga, tai chi, couples counseling, and that I barely scratched the surface, to be honest, but it's an exceptional group of highly professional, but more importantly, or as importantly, compassionate individuals that come together to be as efficient as possible to help people to not just live longer, but to live better, to live well, as well as they can. What a lovely sentiment. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Kangan. You're listening to City of Hope Radio. And for more information on the Department of Supportive Care Medicine, you can go to cityofhope.org. That's cityofhope.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.